Well, Lufkin, we are one church in many locations. Joining us now in Nacogdoches, everybody at Groves, Duncan, Dieball, everybody online, and the location soon to come. Come on, church family, let's welcome each other today. Glad to have you. We're gonna jump right in today, and I wanna start with a question. As we continue in this series on the book of Romans, uh, here's the question I'll, I want you to ask yourself. Take a moment, kind of settle yourself, lean in today. I believe that this message is pregnant with some life change for you. I think many times we get so into the routine that the routine becomes the rut. And even though we are in a familiar place doing what may be for many of us a familiar thing, God wants to do a new thing in you. This may be your 900th time with us at Timber Creek. This is uh, actually the mark, today marks nine years since the first Sunday I preached as the lead pastor of Timber Creek. This is my nine year anniversary. And, yeah, well thank you. Oh, thanks mom. Thanks mom for starting the applause. Um, and yet God is still nine years later showing new things, um, revealing new ways, because he's putting a spotlight, a lighthouse in my heart and wanting to search the, the, the deep places that still need his touch. I wanna be open to that and surrender to that. And I invite you to take a next step there as well. Um, so the question I wanna ask you today is, where do I need to change? Where do I need to change? As you consider your life um, just at the surface level, want to save a little money, want to lose a little weight, want to uh, buy a different house, want to finish that degree, okay, great, good, have some goals, have some goals. Uh, I want to save $100 by the end of next week. Awesome, I just set a goal. That takes no energy whatsoever. Accomplishing the goal is what takes the energy, doesn't it? Where do I need to change? Maybe it's in a marriage that's got a little more conflict than what you really know is as healthy as it could be. Not that conflict in itself is unhealthy, but the way you're conflicting. Maybe it is emotional that there's a wound that just seems like it won't heal. Maybe it's relational. There's a friendship that's uh, hurt you. Someone has said something and even though you're trying to act like it's not a big deal, there's something that's been deposited in your heart and it's, it's getting spiritual staph infection. And, and you're gonna become spiritually septic if you don't deal with these things. What, what, what do I really need to change? But that's not even the, really the biggest question. The, the, the bigger question is, how do I? How do I actually change? And later on, in the next couple of weeks, we'll even get to some of the most famous words that Paul says, which is such a relief to you and to me, the man who wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author. He says, I do what I don't wanna do. And then I do what I shouldn't do. And then I don't do what I need to do. Do you ever feel that way? And we're all like, yeah. But how do I actually change? And last week, we really honed in on one verse in Romans chapter six. And what I said last week is still true today, that people that can understand and live by this verse can engage the strength and the understanding 
to take a next step in truly growing and truly changing. It's a little incognito. The verse isn't as, as upfront as you would think it is, but it's so critical. It's like the master key that unlocks all the other doors. If you can understand this today in the scripture in Romans 6, 14, sin shall no longer be your master. When you come to Christ, no more sin being your master because you're not under the law, you're under grace. He's talking to the saints in Rome and also the pagans in Rome, that it's not about following the law that gives you the true freedom, it's about living under the grace that gives you the true freedom. And last week we talked about what does being under the law really look like, and I gave you four simple pictures of the law. The law is pictured as a yoke that puts two animals together and controls them to get out of them what, that, what the driver of the cattle needs. The yoke, the law was meant to control you, not to change you. When you get into a yoke, a cow doesn't become a chicken. It's, it's a controlled cow. It's a controlled ox. And the, and the law is meant to control us. Now, if you really want to change, guess what? Many times we'll try to follow the law and get control or someone control. If we get more control, then we'll be able to change. But the law is not the final solution. The law was pictured as a guardian, someone who's smaller, who doesn't have the, the, the maturity yet, the strength in their wisdom to be able to make all the decisions on their own. And so the, so the law is meant to be like something that regulates your immaturity. It's my way or the highway in my house, baby. And you can say that till you're blue in the face, but honestly, control and just my way or the highway, those can be some systems you use to raise your kids. But you know that just being under the law isn't enough. We gotta understand grace. The law was pictured as a mirror, and a mirror doesn't cure you, it just shows you what's your current state of affairs. It just shows you who you are, it doesn't show you who you can be. And the mirror of the law shows us that we are sinners, that we need a savior, that we are imperfect. The law was a shadow. It wasn't the substance. It wasn't the reality. It was a shadow, a symbol of what was to come. And Paul says in Galatians, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, not lead us to be good Christian men and good Christian women. It meant to lead us to Christ, and in him we live, and in him we move, and in him we have our being. And That's what under the law is being all about. It's a, it's a step to show you, I need Jesus, not just the law. If I can follow Jesus, I will understand what it means to be the kind of person that lives even above the law. A, a guardrail, like you've heard it said, Jesus said that um, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. But I say, don't even, don't even think about lust in your heart. Like, don't even think about it. Like, put a guardrail. And if we follow Jesus, we get guardrails in our life. That's what it is to be under the law. But what about living under grace? What, what, what is this whole thing on grace? If you're taking notes, let me give you three working definitions for grace. And we're going to jump in today and, and, and really wrestle with something. And then here's what I'm anticipating at the end of today's message. At our locations, I'm anticipating that Jesus is gonna meet you in a sweet way today. That when we pray at the end of this message, and I'm gonna have everybody stand at all of our locations before we hand it over to our campus pastors, and we're gonna pray over some things. 
And God, I believe, is going to speak to you. He's going to speak to you, tailored to fit words for you. Before we get there, let's have a prayer together. Father, the next few moments we have are critical. This is the, the, only, the only August 20th, 2023 that we have. May we leave here changed by your grace. May we see areas that we are not meeting your standard. And yet, thank you, Lord, that you are going to meet us where we are, not where we should be. Pray by the time we leave here today, we will say one to another today, I've heard from God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, here's a few working definitions. I love the acrostic grace, G-R-A-C-E. You can write it down. God's riches at Christ's expense. You get the inheritance out of all the work that Christ did on the cross, all the work Christ did living a sinless, perfect life. You get the inheritance. You get to get married into it. Think about it. If you were a young entrepreneur and you developed an app and you ended up selling it and you made a bajillion dollars and you bought a yacht and you were like walking around with your shirt off and you look terrible, but you got the prettiest girl in class anyway like you get it all and you make a bajillion dollars on the app that's your intellect and your hard work and, and, and your process and your blood, sweat and tears you got it, it's in the bank and then eventually you get married and you get married to the person and then you die guess what they get your stuff some of it they get your stuff that you work hard for so Jesus works hard, and all you got to do is like be united with him, and you get all the inheritance. God's riches at Christ's expense. Here's another definition. God given us what we need, not what we deserve, and you and I deserve punishment. We do deserve to pay the price. We do deserve to uh, grovel because we have blown it a time or two or 12, but he gives us what we need. We need grace. Here's another one, grace is kindness, and he's kind to you. Kindness shown to someone who can't earn it or ever repay it. Now, kindness has gotten twisted these days where we can't stand up for anything anymore because, well, you're not being kind or you're, being, you know, you're offending me by the word of God. That's offensive. That, that, that doesn't work in this culture. Sometimes some of the kindest things you could ever do to your kids is keep them from sinning. It's a very kind thing to do to tell them the truth and speak the truth in love. It's a kind thing. Jesus has given us kindness. There's no, you don't have to figure out the Omega code. You don't have to figure out the Da Vinci code. You don't have to figure out some mathematical equation to know what Jesus has done and what he is inviting you into. It's clear, he wrote it down. There is no mistaking it. There's no like fuzziness like, what is this grace thing? Like it is, let me make it even clearer. Ephesians 2, it is by this grace. It's by grace you have been what? Saved 
through your faith, believing he is who he says he is, he's done what he says he can do. It's by grace you've been saved. And it's this is not from yourselves, thinking you could earn it, or by the denomination you're a part of, or by the good works you did, or by praying to the big man upstairs, and all that and whatnot, and all of your circumcision stuff. You're like, wait, 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 what, 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 what? Well, circumcision was just the way the Jews identified a covenant with God. For us, it may be water baptized into a specific uh, denomination or, or, or sprinkled this way or baptized that way or believe in a certain way or preaching in this way. Yaha. Like all of a sudden, all these different things that we do to try and earn salvation, it ain't about that. It's the gift of God, not by what? Come on, every location, not by what? works so that no one can boast. Look what I did. Look how I did it. Look what I accomplished. So I want to give you some good news. You can write it down as you're filling the blanks on the worship guide or in your notes uh, today online. Good news. Salvation is received, not achieved. I don't have to achieve it. I don't have to run after it. It's received. Now, receiving it means I have to put a hand out. And, 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 and embrace what has been a gift to me. I have to take it. And I have to hold it. I have to understand it. It's good news. But this brings a good question up, honestly. If it's not under the law, if it's not about what you do, if it's not about walking that tightrope of denominationalism or that tightrope of certain legalism, should we do good things? Yeah, should we, faith without works is dead. Should we model Christ? Like The more you become like Christ, the, the, the more Christ should be shown through you. The fruit of the spirit, like do not live by the flesh, gratifying the, 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 the lust of the flesh. Instead, live and walk in the spirit. And you don't have to do those things. So yes, we're walking a certain way, but that's not how we get saved. Good news, but there's a good question in all this. If we're saved by grace, and it's all about what he did, not about what you do, here's the question. Why not just live any way you want? If it's a gift and you receive it, it's like when I was 12 years old and I received a gift for Christmas, a Swiss army knife. And I mean, it was, you had like 19 different knives in there, a corkscrew for a bottle of wine, I guess, at 12, like a toothpick, tweezers, you, you, you name it, okay? Like it had it in there. Anybody ever had a Swiss Army knife, okay? All kinds of different places you can open up. And the first thing I did, we had a basement in our house in Kansas and it was wide open in there, just a few poles. And, and the first thing I do as a very responsible, mature 12 year old is I get Christmas boxes, me and my brother, we get our bikes downstairs and we cut like army tank holes, slots into the, into the boxes. We're putting them over our head and we're riding around inside the basement of the house trying to knock each other over. It was great. Like the high level of maturity in the Yancey household at 12. Well, my sister was five years old at the time and I had put another box over my head. This is the way you do it, carpenters, just let you know. You, you do it from the inside out, apparently, and you, you're holding the, the box with, your four, your, with the top of your head and you're cutting where your eyes will be. And I'm cutting through with my Swiss Army knife, you know, really treating it nice with that cardboard. And my sister comes up and she thinks she's gonna be funny. She starts pounding on the box like this before I can even stop and before she can even stop, poof, puts her hand 
right on top of that, and that Swiss Army knife goes right through her hand. My sister told this story in sixth grade, and Christiana Hughes passed out right there in the front row. Just Christiana was in our youth group later on and my wife was telling a story in our kitchen and, and, and behind her, she was saying something about a thumb being broken and all of a sudden, boom, and there's Christiana. <laughs> so if anybody's passed out, we'll see it's either the story or the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but what am I saying? I can, I can take that gift and not use it the way that I really wanna use it. Like why can't I just take the knife and use it any way I want and not be safe with it? I need to guard that and protect that and cherish that gift. And this scripture that says, uh, Paul in two places, verse one and verse 15, he basically asks that question. Why can't I live any way I want? By what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No, of course not. By no means, he says. Verse 15, he comes back around. He circles back and says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? No, by no means. So what I want to offer you is three principles that Paul's going to give us to profound life change. That if you're not living by the law and what you do, and grace is a gift and like, it's not achieved, it's received, how do you really engage life change for your life? Paul gives us a glimpse into the process. He says, don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Present yourself as an obedient slave. You're a slave to the one you obey. And he says, either a slave to sin, which will lead to death, or you're a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness or rightness with God. Now, for you and I in 21st century United States, this idea of obedient slaves gets ticklish and, and gets uh, hard to situate because our filter of 21st century slavery, we think of it as race-based, forever, brutal, a deep, dark smudge on the soul of this nation and of humanity. That's what we think of. But when Paul is writing, he's not referring to a race-based power smudge, uh, never-ending, can't get through it, only based on, on who you are and what race you are. He's talking about indentured servanthood. And when I was a slave in first century, I may have owed a debt that I, it was gonna take me forever to pay it off so I could pay it off faster. I could pay it off faster by becoming a servant in the house and that sir, the, the, where I become a servant or a slave in that house, that's my master and I can work it over three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I can work that off. But I am not, I'm not in shackles, I'm not imprisoned to that house, but I am loyal to that house because they are paying my debt for me and over time. That's the kind of obedient slave to a master that Paul is referring to. It's not based on some kind of human condition of sin that we've understood modern slavery to be. So the first thing, you gotta situate your understanding of what Paul's meaning, and here's the first key to profound life change for you and for me. Number one, you gotta recognize the shape of your own spiritual slavery. You've gotta recognize, like, like you're gonna be obedient to sin or obedient towards righteousness, but you ain't gonna be anything but a slave to something. You're going to be in servitude to something. Write it down, there are two categories of people. Two categories of people in this world. 
You're in one of them. I'm in one of them. The first one is this, people who are obeying God and people who are spiritual slaves to something else. If you are not obeying God, if I'm not obeying God, in every area of my life, there will be something in my life where I have become a spiritual slave. There is no one without a God. This is why the very first commandment of the moral law is, there shall be no other gods before me. If you can get that one right, if you can get that principle law right, no other gods before him, his kingdom first, all the other stuff, you don't even have to covet. You don't have to kill. You don't have to lie. You don't got to steal. You don't got to fall in love with your neighbor's wife. Love God first, have no other gods, all the other things fall in line. But here's your God and here's my God. Your God is wherever or whatever or whoever you find significance and stability and happiness for your life. Wherever you have significance and value, whether you have stability in shaky times and wherever you find your true source of happiness in happy means, which really is more like joy because happiness fades, but joy can, can be buoyant no matter what you go through. Your God is what, whoever is on the hook, whoever and whatever is on the hook for your significance, your stability, and your happiness, that's your God. It's your God. So this is why career can be so challenging because we find so much identity. This is, also, this is also why parents can struggle in really trying to get their kids into that next step out of high school. And like, you gotta determine, what are you gonna do? You gotta make sure, don't waste away your life. Why? Because if we're not careful, we think that the American dream is really God's dream. When let's get God's dream and we'll figure it out from there. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is great for America, but sometimes God is not about even just your happiness or life and liberty outside of him. It's all about finding those things in him first, but a career, choosing that career can make people sweat bullets. And then the career, like got to get that paycheck. What's going to happen if I don't climb the ladder? Like all of a sudden we go to that career for significance and stability and happiness. Cause when that career gets shaky, when the layoffs start coming, what do we do? We freak out. Family can be your God. Because when family is shaken, you're shaken. It can be, it can be our source of significance. Where, where we sacrifice everything for family. As long as our kids are happy, that's what I want. I just want my kids to be happy. If you're not careful, your kid's happiness becomes the God that rules you. Achievements? personal independence, let me live my life. That becomes your God. I can do it myself. Well, we've been doing that one since we're two. Personal depend, someone depending on you. Like that's where you get your significance and stability and happiness is you got people and like, like that, that responsibility as the manager or you as a mom. Human approval, political causes. I mean, we, we, we just going, gangbusters crazy on political causes. And if we're not careful, political causes become our God. 
Because if we don't get the right person, stability, significance, and happiness in the future of this country, as though God is trembling and shaking in his boots up top. That's what happens. Should you have these things? Can these things be in your life? Can you have these things? Yes, but these things can't have you. And that's where we're living, where these things have us by the throat as a master. And we are slaves groveling at their feet. Money, romance, physical attractiveness, newsflash, ding, 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 it gonna fade. I know, I know. And some of you are like just speaking in tongues right now. Whatever it is, you name it, but name it, name it. So the good question, why can't I live any way I want? Here's another newsflash. If I'm not living God's will, I'm not really living the way I want because you are a slave to a master and you don't even realize it. Number two. Not only do we have to understand the shape of our spiritual slavery that we are Servants in the house of the master, we are, we are obedient to him unto righteousness, but we ought to also realize the scope of our unity in Christ. That we're not out left on the sidelines. We aren't bench warmers in his plan. We, we are in unity with Christ. Romans 6 is all about we've buried with him. We're raised with him. We are in Christ. Paul says it a different way in Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And how often are our hearts set on things where Christ isn't? Or on things that are in this earth that God has given us, but they're not, those are gifts, those aren't God. Those are things, those aren't the master. And since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. He says, and where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. It's a place of prominence. It's a place of authority. It's a place of rule. And where Christ is, that's where you set your heart. Because you're in Christ, you get to sit with him. He goes on to say, Paul says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like, a, like an eagle would hide his their chicks inside their wings. You're hidden with Christ in God. And so when Christ, so that's where you were, you're hidden in Christ with God when you died. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, he's talking about the second coming when everything is made right, a new heaven, a new earth, paradise forever, everything is changed and God has his rule, it's coming. He didn't just come once, the Bible is clear, he's coming again. And when he comes, when Christ was your life, you'll also appear with him in glory. So write it down. Jesus passed, guess what? Jesus passes your past. Like his stats are your stats. So what is his past? His past is instead of the Israelites wandering and sinning and having other gods of the wilderness, they, they, they wouldn't even cross the Jordan River. Jesus crosses the Jordan River from the promised land, goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He accomplishes sinless 40 days, fasting and praying, tempted by the enemy, the same temptations that the Egyptians had in the wilderness, and he sins not. He is completely 
perfect and he fulfilled. His past is your past. His death is your death. What he paid, you get to say it's been paid because his past is your past. His future is your future so that when he reigns forevermore, you're an heir to the throne. You, you, have, you have the inheritance that he has. So his future is your future. You're hidden in Christ. So guess what you got to do? You got to get rid of your low goals. Well, you know, I'm talking spiritually. Do you know what many people end up coming to Christ? Here's what usually happens. We hit a bump in the road. One of our gods puts a wheel in the ditch. Achievement, family, life, health, money, global crisis, okay? Some, uh, one thing we, th we were putting so much significance, stability, and happiness in, it gets a wheel in the ditch, and we say, whoa, I don't know if, I, I don't know if this God is the God that I really wanna serve. And we look at our alternates. We look at an alternate opportunity. And so we look for peace that passes understanding. We look for joy. We look for hope. We look for love. And when you come searching for it, if you seek me, you will find me. And so you find him. But I want you to know that just having inner peace, you're scratching the surface on all of the riches that Jesus has for you and your relationships and your marriage and you're doing it your way. You wanna do it your way, that's fine. But your way is your God. But when you do it God's way, you get to get rid of all the low goals and you get to see things bigger. He's transforming you way beyond the little things. I love a quote that I have in my journal from C.S. Lewis. And he's talking about what Jesus does when he comes into your life. This is from the book, Mere Christianity. I just want you to listen. Imagine yourself as a living house. God has come in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. Now you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then, and now, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers and he's making courtyards with flowers. You thought you are going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace that he intends to come and live in himself. That's how he sees you. Stop setting your low goals. 
anticipate that you cannot anticipate the change he can bring. You just gotta anticipate that you can't anticipate. Like, I don't even know what I don't even know. It's crazy. Who knows what God's gonna do in this? Who knows what God's gonna change? Who knows how God's gonna show up? Who knows how God's gonna meet my every need? I don't know. But I'm gonna anticipate that I can't even anticipate. And that's exciting, but it's also in the hell on earth we face. When we close the casket, we can't anticipate the kind of change he can bring. So you gotta understand the shape of your spiritual slavery. Either you're a slave to obedience in God or you're a slave to something else. You gotta understand that you're in unity. So like, man, if he is for us, who could be against us? Like if God, if God were choosing his kickball team, he would see you not as a Jeremy. I mean, he would see you as a, David Beckham, I don't know. He would see you through his son. He'd see you as perfect through him. Number three, you gotta live daily out of that new identity. That's the challenge, it's not even the new identity, it's the living daily. How often do I go back to being an old Jeremy? I gotta put that old away, I gotta stop putting new wine in an old wineskin. I gotta live daily in my new identity. And the law was given to a nation that had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They were, they were exodus, they were freed from that slavery, and yet they still were grumbling, mumbling, and complaining, and even wanting to go back because they just couldn't see what God was up to, and they didn't know if they could really live out their new identity as a free nation. And they get to the point where they've wandered for, for 40 years and they get back to the Jordan River and they go, they, they, they're ready to go. And Moses says, send reports, send scouts out. 12 spies go and check out the new land, 12 spies. They're out there for 40 days, they come back. They gave Moses this account. Man, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. What? It's crazy, Moses. It's crazy, Momo. It's gonna be awesome. But then men who had gone with him said, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are, and all the people we saw there are of great size. Sounds like a Yancey family reunion. <laughs> anyway. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Pause, if they're spies, if they're secretly going, how do they know what they look like to them, I'll tell you how. They just assumed that they knew that there was no way that they would see them as nothing because they couldn't see themselves as anything but bugs. So how do you live daily towards life change? You gotta see yourself through the eyes of the right I am. I am someone who has failed. 
He says, I'm forgiven. I, I am someone who's not enough. I am more than enough. I, I'm someone who's been conquered. No, 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 I say you're more than a conqueror. You, you have to live and see yourself through the eyes every single day, every day. This is why it's so powerful to start a habit of spending time in prayer every day. Not just so you can follow the law of reading your Bible as a good Christian robot, but so that you can remind yourself daily of who he says you are and who the word of God says he is. So you don't get it twisted and you don't get it forgotten and you don't get sideways and you don't drift because we all are like sheep. We drift, we stray. And he says, no, 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 no. See yourself, understand where you are, know your unity because sin don't need to be your master. Because you're not under law, you're under grace. And this whole thing of your master, like crazy news, you get to choose. You get to choose this day who you will serve. You get to choose your master. You get to, you get to choose who you put a white towel over your arm for. You get to choose your master. He's not even gonna force you into the house. You don't wanna live in his house with him. He won't make you live in his house with him on this side of eternity or the other. Here's what's crazy. Okay, I'd say don't tell anybody, but you ought to tell everybody. I'm just saying you ought to tell everybody. If you sign up and you choose to live for him as your master. It's, it, it, it's, it's crazy, just, 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 just hear me on this. Let me give you the job description. You don't have to clean his house. He prepares a place for you. That when he comes again, he'll receive you to himself that where he is, you can be also. He builds the house. You don't have to wash his clothes. Even though your clothes are like filthy rags, he clothes you in his righteousness. Let me tell you what else is on the job description. You don't have to cook his breakfast to like get in good graces and make sure that, you know, he gets the meal right on time. As a matter of fact, you can deny him three times in the moment of his persecution and you can hide and you can be fearful and you can go back to what you were doing before you ever met him. And yet he will walk under the shore. He'll invite you into a miracle. He'll meet you on the shore. He'll cook breakfast for you. You don't have to hide your tears. He'll wipe every tear. As a matter of fact, when you cry, he will weep with you. He mourns with those who mourn. You don't have to beg forgiveness. He on the cross has already said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You don't have to wash his feet. <laughs> the master of the cosmos rolls up his sleeves and get on his own knees. And these dirty, sandal-ridden men, he says, I'm doing this so you'll do this for other people. You don't have to work off your debt. It's been paid in full. Here's what's even crazier. In order to be a servant in this master's home, 
I don't have to be a servant. I get to be a son. Because the one and only son became the ultimate servant. So write it down. If you will, how do I change? If you will give yourself to the only master who became the ultimate servant. Your life will change. Your family and your legacy will change. And will it always change the way you want it to change? Well, no, you're not God. But God has a way of piecing everything together according to his riches and glory to serve a purpose that you just cannot, you just better anticipate that you cannot anticipate the kind of change he can bring. I'm asking you to be sensitive not to a speaker. I'm gonna ask you to stand where you are, but stay where you are. Do not leave our auditoriums unless you have an emergency. If you have an emergency, please, by all means, leave. Looks like we have three emergencies right now. No, I'm kidding, we don't. Lufkin and Nacogdoches, those joining us in Groves, everybody online, Dybul and Duncan, I'm asking you to stand as well. Symbolically, symbolically, can I invite you just down here to put your hands up like this, palms up, and let's pray together. Father, I know there are so many of us that are tired of trying to do good and they just, just can't do good enough. Those of us that are up against a roadblock, up against a wall, up in a, we're deep in a valley. Jesus, we want to commit our allegiance to you, our trust in you, our hopes in you. You meet us where we are. Someone who is in the room and you're, you're knowing right now, I've not even been living for God, but I want to start. That's where he'll meet you. You just say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin, the stuff that keeps me from you. <laughs> sin my way over your way. And will you help change me? Will you change me? I wanna serve you today. For the senior saint, who there's, there's still a struggle, there's still a desire for you to still have the last word, for you to still get upset over something that you shouldn't be. Jesus, I pray for the fruit of the Spirit in all of us, from senior saint to fresh baby Christian. Now, just in this moment, Jesus, how do you want to encourage us today? And I want you to listen, because I believe Jesus personally just in the next few moments, wants to say something in your heart to you. So listen quietly.
Jesus is kind to you. He's helping you. He's giving you a gift today. You're not alone. He's wanting to say something to you that encourages your heart. Now will you receive that? And if you haven't heard anything specific from God in this moment, what would it look like that this week you, you walk with a little bit of an expectancy and anticipation that he wants to show you special things and speak to you in special ways in very surprising circumstances? And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.